We are in Champions League, man. That was my Dilly din, dilly dong, come on. I will love it if we beat them. Love it. This is the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast with Gary Kearney. Hello, welcome to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. My name is Gary Kernin. Joining me for this episode is a little panel discussion. Erwin Van Benekom, head coach at Indiana University, and Randy Waldrum, head coach at University of Pittsburgh. So both have experienced a lot of success. Randy is a head coach with Notre Dame, national champions, an unbelievable coaching resume at Baylor as well, and then at the NWSL with the Houston Dash. And then Erwin, success, most recently with Duke University and success, Final Four in that, in that program and building that program there with Robbie Church. So I wanted to talk about taking over a new program and what goes into the process of taking over that team. Everything from recruitment, everything from tactical systems, everything from culture, staffing, as much as we could get through. So hopefully you enjoy this. We'd love to hear your thoughts. At Gary Kernin on Twitter, at Gary Kernin on Instagram. Always appreciate you listening to the podcast. Here is Randy and Erwin. Enjoy. All right, Randy, Erwin, thanks so much for joining me today on the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. Really excited to have you both on. Yeah, thanks for having us. Really appreciate it. Both taking over a new program, both at the upper end of Division One, both uh, swimming with the Sharks this fall. So uh, the first question I wanted to ask was, with you personally, both with your philosophy and your experience in the game at the Division One level, when you take over a new program, what's the first place you look to improve? So we'll start off with you, Randy. Well, for us, and I'm, I'm not sure my situation I'm not sure how close it is to what Irwin has there in Indiana, but, um, you know, our, our first thing is obviously we had to change the players. I mean, you know, and I think that's sometimes a touchy situation because, you know, kids are at your university under the old regime and you're coming in with a different way you want to play and, and a different mindset of what you're looking for. So the changing of the players is probably the hardest thing to do, but you have to do it to, you know, and so I think that was the, the very first thing before we ever even began to speak about X's and O's and, you know, how we want to play and all that is, is our players, just quite frankly, what we had when we took the program over, just weren't uh, great kids, but not at the level to play in the ACC. All right. So we're going to go one step further then. Uh, what was the pro- – I mean, how long was the process, Randy? Have you finding that out? Was there an evaluation process that was weeks? Was it a couple of training sessions? How long did that go? Yeah, you know, I came in, uh, my timetable, I came in actually in January last year. So I didn't really have a chance to bring in any players uh, on my own because the signing date back then was in February. And so we really didn't have time. You know, we kind of inherited what we had. And and so the spring we had the opportunity to look at the players that we had going into our first season and and it really just took uh, you know based on the experiences that we had with um, my years at Notre Dame and, and and knowing what it takes to win national championships and play in the ACC I knew the players that we needed to but what we did is we we committed to try to get the most out of those players that we could you know through the spring and give everybody the opportunity to to maybe prove us wrong or, or maybe to improve enough, you know, with us there uh, during last fall season. Um, but, you know, it, it just, it, it really didn't change much. I think we all been in this game a long time and our eyes are pretty good. And we, we can identify talent pretty quickly and uh, especially at the level that we all are, are coaching at. So uh, not really much changed over the time from what we initially saw, but we, we certainly gave it some time. We didn't come in just straight away and, and make all the changes. What about you, Erwin? First, first thing to approve. Uh, yeah, similar in a sense. I, I think um, I think our starting point might have been a little different than uh, than Randy's um, from the level of talent. Uh, but I think I think the first thing was trying to figure out. And I think I think the cool turn, the good thing to say is always uh, uh, let's find out how you know what their qualities are and not really look at the weaknesses. But uh, 
you know, I think one of the problems is that a lot of people, uh, a lot of players think they can do things that they can't. So I think first trying to figure out what their limitations are from a physical, from a tactical, technical perspective, and then figure out on top of that what their strengths are, what they can do, and then, you know, kind of figuring out, you know, maybe um, because I wasn't really, this incoming, incoming recruiting class wasn't, uh, wasn't really a big part of it. We, we managed to get some, some players late, but uh, we're working with the players that were here and uh, there's loads of potential and there's loads of qualities, but there's also, I think, a lot of limitations that we had to be aware of before um, before trying to implement a certain way of playing. So, you know, I might have my philosophy, but I think for us to be somewhat successful this year, I think we might have to alter, uh, go away from that philosophy a little bit based on based on limitations and qualities. But I think we looked at limitations first. And then I think the other part for me was language just, uh, you know, everywhere you go, it's people use just different language. And, you know, some players have worked in club situations where, you know, you hear all this jargon now and, and, and uh, all the people that try to be cool and, and, and players come in, but they have no clue what it means. And even the players that were here, you know, uh, the way I talk and even the way our staff, how our staff starts to integrate together, we have all different language. So making sure we're on the same page first of, of like, what do, what do we call certain stuff? Because if the language is not right and, we, we might be uh, we might be in trouble. Yeah, you both kind of mentioned those those limitations that the players have, and and focusing on those players. What what are the non-negotiables for a player at the at the elite level of Division One that you have personally? Both again, both with experience and with philosophy. What what do you require from from a player? Yeah, I I think um, you know you just. Give me some thought because, again, I know um, Erwin with Duke and the success Duke's had at the at the national level and, and uh, in recent years, and certainly us having been there quite a few times with Notre Dame over the years, I think you, you kind of learn that there are certain things that you just can't um, make excuses for. And, and for us, it's not, again, it's not so much about um, the X's and O's as it is about the players and the expectation or standards, if you want to call it that. Um, there are just a, a certain things that, you know, we won't condone or we won't alter or we won't change for anybody. Is it, you know, that we've got a certain level of the way we want to train, the intensity level that we expect every day in training. Um, you know, a big word everybody likes to use out there right now is the commitment level. And, and that means so many different things, but certainly – under our umbrella of the things that we expect our players to commit to, um, you know, those are just things that we really don't waver on. I, I think we all know that that even though we all have rules in place, I think, for our programs, we all know to an extent those kind of vary a little bit, you know, from player to player. I mean, you're willing to um, put up with a little bit for some players more maybe than you would with others, not even times intentionally, but it happens. But I do think even with all of your players, whether they're your best players or they're not your best players, there's just certain expectations or core values or standards that we have as a team that no matter who you are, we're just not going to waver on that. And it's simple things, Gary. It could be as simple as, um, you know, the way we train, the, the intensity level of training. We're not going to waver on that just because you're uh, a potential college player of the year doesn't mean we're going to let you just kind of coast through training, you know, or it may be things in terms of the academic realm. You know, our kids may have professors that don't require them to be in class, you know, as long as they do well. But for us, we require them to be in class. You know, we have expectations and the way we represent the program. Some things like that. I'm not a big 35, 40, 50 rules kind of guy, but we have a few kind of standards and expectations that we have that that those are just some kind of the core values that we really want, you know, waver on. Everyone? Yeah, I think from a similar, um, my, my biggest um, problem was just the way, uh, I think I felt like they were enduring training. It was like, it was just going through training and then you get an adaptation just because you trained. And I think that mentality of just going, you know, getting it done. And this was the spring, but it, it shouldn't really matter. Um, I, I think it was just uh you know, let's get this over. Well, let's get to training, and we just got better. Um, so that, to me, I try to change um, that mindset of no. It's like the same thing if you go to class and just sit in class and just, you know, just 
get stuff thrown at you, it doesn't mean you got smarter. Uh, and I think that's the same thing on the, you know, on the training field. So actually trying to train and actually understand the, uh, not just the how, but also the why, which we went over a thousand times. And we had the same issues with Duke early on where, you know, I would explain something and it's just saying yes, just to get the conversation over with. And then, you know, actually understanding something. So next time it happens, we, we have a, a context to that situation. So that, that to me was, and also to a team, I think was, you know, it's such a hard sport. And if you don't understand what you're doing, I think uh, all the work is for nothing. So that, that was a hard process, but I think uh, we're slowly, slowly getting there. Yeah, it's interesting. So trying to rebuild a program, especially with, I suppose there's a transfer culture, I suppose now in the, in the US with, with players, a lot of players leaving schools. Is there a, the one thing that you never, both of you never mentioned in your non-negotiables was a technical ability of a certain player? Erwin's yours was more focused. Randy, yours was more core values. Was that? Is there a, a wariness of taking a player from a transfer and trying to? She might score you ten goals, but she might be a problem. Is that? Is that ever an issue? Oh, I, I think Gary, it is. I mean, certainly the playing piece of it and the the, the character of that player is, is huge for all of us. And I would say for us building a program right now, I'm going to guess we both probably feel very much the same on this is you, as you're trying to change the culture, as we talked about earlier, then certainly you don't want to bring players in off the transfer portal or, or even an incoming freshman. You don't want to bring players in. that's going to be counterproductive to that, you know, to the, to the culture of your team and what you're trying to do. So, you know, certainly I think you've got to, you got to be concerned about that piece of it. And, um, you know, and I think when you talk about the, the technical aspects of a player, I mean, certainly we both have players that, you know, that and, and every coach does, that, that have qualities that you like and you don't like. And sometimes I may like one that you don't and vice versa because we know more what we're trying to, big, to see the big picture to look like and we know how that player will fit a little bit more. But I do think that, you know, there are some things that you just kind of go – I like this kid a lot and she's an athletic player and she's fast and she's got the physical tools that we look for. But you know what, at the end of the day, she's just not good enough with the ball and the way we want to play, you know, we need to be better with the ball. So certainly I think those things you don't waver on either. Um, but you do worry. And I worry a lot that the, the transfer portal has opened up a whole new realm, you know, with the, the recruitment process. And we brought in three new transfers actually four new transfers for this coming fall off the portal and you know i'll be quite honest with you unfortunately with one of them when we got a player that doesn't live up to what we expect you know with the off the field issues and things and and it's hard because all you can do is you see them off of in that you know the video of their games and you go well she's a good player i think she'll fit and then you, you talk to the coach of where she transfers and unfortunately sometimes they're not always right with you and you know they're they're trying to unload the player as well and and um, I think we've got some bad information and, and so now we've got you know we've got a we've got a, a situation we've got to solve so it, it does become a little bit dicey for sure. Everyone any experience there? We actually just uh, uh, had a, a transfer from Wake Forest commit to us the other day and uh, you know I, I, I think you never you never know. Even with freshmen, I think there might be uh, with incoming freshmen that you recruited and have spent some time with. But you know how the recruiting process has been going. It's so fast, and you don't really get a chance to really meet somebody out and out. And you know, I, I think the same thing from a, from a player standpoint. They don't really get to know the real coach, you know, because we're all putting up this uh, this maybe false you know false uh, front that. Uh, you know, they sometimes see a session, but if you know you have a recruit on the sideline, you might be a little different. And I think a player coming in, they project themselves a little different. So it, it's hard. It's hard. But I think hopefully, uh, and we call it a Duke, we got a lot of good people just because how Robbie operated with his program. And I think uh, that attracted the right people. And uh, um, hopefully, hopefully we can do the same thing. I think here, what we're saying on recruiting visits and talking to people about, I think that either scares them off or, or excites them. And I want to play it. You know, I want the players here that that, that excites, um, uh, and I, I think we'll figure it out through some conversations we have. So, you know, hopefully, uh, I think the what Randy said about 
you know, the personality piece of, of players, I think that's hard to change. And even even three, four years out in, in recruiting, if, if somebody doesn't have the right mindset, who are we to think that we're going to change that? You know, and we and if we think we can, do we want to take that risk? Because there's another couple thousand players out there. And, um, I, and I think that's a great, I think it's a great point too, Gary, for you with kind of the focus of this conversation is that's a little bit when you're trying to rebuild a program, that's a little bit of where a coach has to gamble, you know, and, and honestly say, do I really want to take a risk on this player? You know, I, I'm so anxious to change my program and make it better, but is it worth going all in on this player when I know there may be some issues or may not, you know, so it, it does, it's, it's tempting, you know, it's like, I remember starting the program at Baylor brand new from scratch in, in the mid nineties. And I had all of my scholarships right from year one. And back then I think we had 12 we didn't have 14. I think we had 12. And so my biggest dilemma was how much of this money do I want to spend right off the bat? Cause I wanted to be good right away, but I had to also be frugal and understand that I only need to spend maybe three or four in year one and then build and spread that money out. And, and yet it's very tempting to say, no, let's go with a little bit more because I want to be better and I can get a couple more good players if I'm willing to spend a little more. And I think that's a little bit of what building and rebuilding programs like we're doing, Erwin and I are doing now, that that can be a little bit tempting at times to go, you know what, she's better than what we have. There may be some things about her that we don't completely like, but she's at least going to improve us, so let's go with it. Or do you just kind of sit back and go, no, I'll, I'll be patient and make sure I'm getting all the right pieces in part. And I think for coaches, that's a, a tough dilemma sometimes, and especially for young coaches. I'm curious to, to get your thoughts on that, because I would imagine when you're at the mid-major lower, like if I'm a Bakersfield, I can be patient because the program is not used to a lot of success, so I can put a four or five-year plan in. Uh, when you're at those programs, that you guys are at, you cannot, you can't wait around for four or five years. How many risks, Randy, did you take at Notre Dame? Yeah, I, I don't think because you know we had the program going in such a way that, like it was mentioned earlier, that you know, like Robbie has at Duke, it, we just kind of attracted much better quality kids because they kind of knew what the program was about. But I would also sit here and tell you, that over fourteen years, we probably gambled you know, a half a dozen times uh, on some kids over that 14 years. We wouldn't necessarily do it one one or two a year, but but there would be an, every other year or so that that one player comes along that you're willing to gamble a little bit on. And, and quite frankly, some worked and worked out great, and some of the others didn't, you know, and, and we knew it going in. It was, it, was, it was a bit of a risk. It was also a little bit harder there, too, uh, mainly because you also had to factor in the difficulty of getting the kids in there academically. So that really, that really cut a lot, you know, out. And what I found at the schools where the academic standards are a little bit higher, um, I, I kind of just find that it just kind of correlates with the players are usually a little bit more mature, a little bit more focused. And, you know, you don't run into as many of those kids that might be at risk than, at a school where you can kind of get anybody in and i don't really mean that in a negative way but it's just kind of the fact you know and so i think it, it weeded a little bit of that out you know for us at notre dame as well but we took we you know we took some risks but i i do think in this day and age and listen you guys you guys are the ones out there young and getting it done now you know i'm one of the old guys out there that's been doing it a long time uh and and and, and just so you both know one day you're going to wake up and you're going to go hey wait i'm the old guy and it comes you <laughs> So uh, enjoy it while you can. But um, seriously, I it's changed so much, Gary, because you're right. Even when I was at Baylor in, in the mid-90s, I didn't ever feel, you know, the pressure that I felt for the job was only pressure that I put on myself to be successful and build a good program. I, I never really worried about losing my job. And I think that's something that now with the Power Five conferences and the money that's in it and as much money as they're putting in the women's sports now, then it's, it's been recent that you're right. There's there's pressure to to have some results and to get the results quickly, you know. And I think that's it does put pressure sometimes to to get this done as quick as you can. And, and um, you know, with the recruiting being early as early as it is, it's been a little different for us here trying to build this and change 20 years of losing because 
you may or may not realize Pittsburgh's had two winning seasons in 22 years, right? So a history of losing. So it, it in some ways, it almost would have been better if we just started from scratch, you know, and there would be no history. So, so we, but what we didn't want to do is come in here and wait three years because recruits are committing two years in advance now as sophomores, you know, and if we waited, we felt like if we wait, it's going to be two or three years before we can get good recruits in, but then that's two or three years of losing. And then the players will go, why would I want to go with Randy now? He, he, he hasn't won there in two or three years since he's been there. So we really had to go the international route a little bit, some transfer routes. We got quite lucky that we stumbled onto some good kids that were still available. And when we got the job, we found some kids that had committed elsewhere that, you know, decommitted and wanted to come play for us. So we really had to, to ramp it up quickly in that regard to try to be successful right away. Erwin, you and Robbie take many risks at Duke. I think that, I think they're all risk, and especially the more money you put into a play, you only have 14 scholarships, so so it, it's tough. And I think, uh, you know, I hear some people say, you know, you if you have a recruiting class of six or seven players, there's always one that's gonna do better than than you think, and there's one that's gonna disappoint you. And then I think the others in the middle will kind of be what it is. But you know, I I, I think I um, we were talking about it in the office with with my staff the other day. I, I do think I. Uh, compare players to players that I've coached in the past. So if they have like kind of the same uh, body type and the same skill set, I, I compare and like, okay, I can see this player being like this because I I, I know, you know, I was doing Imani Dorsey uh, where we had the Duke. I We had a similar player uh, that we were following. And I'm like, ah, oh, she can be like Imani Dorsey. And, and she's not close to being Imani uh, <laughs> Dorsey, but like I, I, I see the potential there. So I feel like I'm doing some of that stuff like that, but you know, we we didn't. We have a, we have a, a, a decent group, and uh, there was we had. I think we we came in that the the 2019 recruiting class had already signed NLIs, and and when I first talked to administration, we were like kind of you know with the 2020 class, which was a was a pretty big class. Uh, you gotta you gotta manage that well and have the conversations, and and those conversations when after watching that class for the most part was pretty quick. Like hey. We don't want to keep doing this. We don't want to. So we had those conversations of uh, maybe this is not the right place for you to come to play just because we want us to be the best experience for you. So that was more the uh, the future of the program was more um, making making some changes there and, and recruiting some different players. Uh, and and now nowadays, and I don't know how it was in the past, but there's not much we can do. You know, it's not like we can say, hey, we're going to take your money away and, and go find another place. Playing time is really the only thing that we have leverage with and for some, some of them don't care about playing time. So what else can we do? So that, that's, I think that's the hard part, but you know, we're trying to go about it the right way and, and, and change some things and get, get the most out of the players we have now. Uh, and we have coming in. I do think that's a great point on the players, Owen, because you know, we had to do the same. I think it's one of those where you, you have to sit down with the players that you have and you want to, change to get more players in that you're recruiting but i think it's those are difficult conversations but they they need to be they need to be had and they need to be honest and upfront and that's kind of the way we handled it too with our players is we just basically said listen you're here and if you want to stay we'll work with you and do the best we can with you and you know but right now this is kind of where we see you fitting in moving forward with the new staff and the way we want to play and you know and if we felt like their playing time wasn't going to be there like it had been or that we didn't see them really in in our plans we we had to have those honest conversations and let them know that so 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 they might not like to hear it and they're hard conversations to have as coaches but at least you can know that you've been honest and upfront and so if they choose to stay then they were they were warned, you know, that things are changing and this is where we see you, you know, and but it also gives them the opportunity to go, well, you know what, I do want to play and I would rather go somewhere where I know I'm going to play a lot. And so, you know, that's kind of the way you handle it. I think it's I think it's the professional way to do it. And so um, I think we're very similar in that. I agree, Randy. I, I think, you know, the hard part is the perception out there that, you know, I'm not too worried about it, but, you know, there's been coaches that have changed programs around and, and basically got they, they call it get rid of like 15 players and get their own players in and they now have right. a bad rep but you like anybody in those shoes you you're not just getting rid of players anybody that's 
you can't just tell them to go. You have honest conversations, yeah. and if they decide to go in a different direction, you know that's, yeah. that's more than fair, and that's the right thing to do by everybody. And it's hard, you know, the jobs are on the line, and um, you you also want to make sure. And, and the whole, you know, I, I said this all the time: the whole transfer thing. You know, maybe it's because I'm not from here, and I didn't went to, went to college in the U.S. Um, I think it's not a problem. Like transferring, it's like if, if you don't like your job, you change your job. You know, you go somewhere else. And 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 transferring, I've you know multiple people that I know that that transferred within, you know, within the U.S. that went from one school, created a friend group and a and a network group, and then went somewhere else and had a whole different experience in a different part of the country, and and, and got fifty thousand dollars a year in scholarship money. Yeah. I don't see the issue here. Yeah. No, and I'll, I've always felt this way. And I know there's a lot of coaches in the country with the players that transfer won't release them and are vindictive because they want to leave. But I've just always kind of felt like if the player doesn't want to play for me or doesn't want to be at our program, then that I don't want that player anyway because I'm not going to get the commitment level that I need out of them uh, anyway. So I, I agree totally. I've always been fine with the transfer. You know, you hate to lose kids, but if, if for whatever reason it's not a good fit, then let them go where it's a good fit. It's their their career, and you want them to be happy, and, and that player will basically bring you down anyway if you force them to stay because you threaten to make them sit a year. Um, I don't want those players in my program either, so I think you're, you're absolutely right on that. But is it harder then with the – you're talking like a demotivated player who maybe comes in and then – loses a bit of form and then, you, you know, you spell out that they're not going to get the opportunities, they're not going to get the playing time. The fact that you're sitting on a campus at one of the best schools in the U.S., if it's Indiana, Duke, if it's Pittsburgh, if it's Notre Dame, Baylor, these are all big schools. Is there a problem that that the, that the player says, oh, yeah, that's fine, I'm, I'm happy sitting here on the bench and just doing the minimum, and then you've got 90% scholarship in here? How do you deal with that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think by by the rules that we live under, there's really not much we can do is what, is, you know, Aaron and I talking about that is there's not much you can do. I mean, it's then, you know, they have the rights and they're protected by the commitments that were made and the letter of intent that they signed. And I think at that point, then, you, you know, I'm kind of one that, that for me, I'm not the kind of coach that, will hold that, you know, against the player. I think now then, okay, if you, if you, if you want to stay and, and understanding where you, this discussion that we just had and you still don't want to leave, that's great, but let's get to work, you know? And, and I think our job is to get the best and the most out of our players that we can while they're getting their education taken care of. So um, I think you gotta, you know, you gotta just plug away as, as if, she was one that you recruited and, and try to get the most out of them because it doesn't do you any good in the long run to be upset with her or vindictive or to, to keep her in a demoted state. If that player does have some abilities that can help you in, in whatever capacity. And I, I'm just a real big believer in this. And I, I think our, and Erwin, you may feel a little different. I don't know about your teams that do, that got to the final fours and things, but, I always felt like the teams that we had at Notre Dame that won the championships, they weren't always our most talented team. They were our best teams in terms of the best players playing together. But the one common thread that those teams had um, were not only the players that started, you know, had everything in order and, and did the things that we asked and were committed, but the players that were their reserves, while they competed every day to try to take some playing time away, they were highly supportive of the player in front of them. You know, so it was, it's, it's kind of like your whole roster was all in, so to speak, on the idea of let's do this together. And, and they were able to understand their role, like, you know, getting them to understand that my role right now is, even though I want to be a starter, my role is I'm a reserve. And so my job every day at training is to, to put it the best out there. So the player in front of me has to get better, you know, and, and if you get that starting group after a month or so of your season and then the reserves realize that they've learned the pecking order now that they're the reserve, oftentimes in programs those reserves kind of just drop off and become a little bit more disinterested and can't stay motivated. So I think if you got that player that wants to stay, even though you've encouraged them to look elsewhere, um, you know, you want them to be there to, to push every day in training. So I think you just got to put the work in and say, okay, then let's, 
let's get to work and let's get the best out of you that we can. That's kind of my philosophy on it. I, I fully agree. And I think, I think the only way that you, you get those players to do what, what you want them to do is be completely honest and have those tough conversations. Because I think if you keep saying, and uh, I've been in situations with coaches before that they keep telling them that you're going to get your chance and you, you, you know, I see this coming and you're doing better. And it's all basically trying to keep somebody happy and not complain at that moment. But I think long-term, it just makes it worse. And um, I think being very, even with recruits, I tell them now, I said, you might not ever train a minute. You might not ever play a minute. You know, there's no guarantee of training time. And I make training time, I say that. I said, and, and obviously I put it in, I said, you know, I just don't want you to think that you, you deserve a chance. You deserve honesty and respect. And that's about it. You don't deserve a chance. You don't deserve a minute of training time. That's not part of your contract. You know, so, and I try to say that to set them up because I think a lot of times in recruiting and just selling the program is, oh, you're going to get this and you're going to get this. And then it's just, a, um, it just becomes a problem. And even with the players here, we had, I, I clearly told them like going into next season, I foresee these being your roles and uh, you better prepare yourself now for those roles and to do those roles the best you can, because I think that's what, it, or we think that's what it's going to be. And, you know, if you, if, if they go into the summer and they have their eyes set on a slotting position and they won't even be on the plane, that, that could be an issue. But now if they know kind of, hey, I still have to do the same physical stuff over the summer and still have to be prepared like everybody else and still have to train as hard, but I, I anticipate not being on the plane, then everything is a bonus, which, which sucks. It, it, it's tough. And they still have to do the same work like everybody else, but at least, you know, you're not giving them false sense of, of uh, of confidence. You mentioned about the game changing, Randy, over the past you know, 10 odd years. Um, recruitment of players has obviously gone into overdrive, but also recruitment of coaches has probably stepped up a fair bit as well with co competition in the coaching market of young coaches mm -hmm. trying to get in and um, a lot more now with a different kind of skill set. So I wanted to get your take on both of you guys setting up your staffs for the new job and what specific areas or what specific people or characteristics or skill set that you wanted to get in your assistant coaches? Uh, you know, I, I got some advice from uh, from different people of, of high uh, higher specialists, and I think I know what I'm good at, but also know my weaknesses. And um, you know, uh, we set it up so we got five people full time on our staff. Um, we, um, you know, we have a, a director of ops who I kind of transferred. It's still called the director of ops. Uh, because we have to, but he's basically our video analyst. So we have somebody that take care of all our video. We hired him a couple of weeks ago and he's going to do basically all our video operations, our analytics, but basically preparing. Uh, it's somebody that can't work directly with our players, but he's basically preparing video for the coaching staff, for individual meetings, for team meetings, line meetings, whatever it may be. So I think that uh, Gary and, and Randy, you both know it's, it's a huge part of, of what we do, especially because of the, the condensed schedule. So to me, video, um, is, is the second best after playing of, of teaching. So we hired somebody just for that, um, uh, just for the operations of video. And then we have a volunteer um, assistant coach. We have two full-time um, assistant coaches. Um, the volunteer assistant coach is, is responsible for our attacking tough pieces. Our um, goalkeeping coach was obviously res responsible for our goalkeeping, but then uh, this defensive set pieces. Um, Bree, who was my, who was my uh, top assistant, uh, was kind of responsible for all the, the physical the, the physical side of, of how we build training sessions, um, taking everything from our sports science department and, and making sure we're on the right track there. Um, she takes care of pretty much in collaboration with our strength coach of, of incorporating um, the strength components and the mobility and, and the flexibility components in our warm-ups. Um, and then there's also part of, of the general training session uh, with myself. Um, so kind of how we, you know, maybe to put it in a training session, what we do is um, we'll have a, uh, a video session or a, a team meeting before every training session, which will be um, created based on my advice or our staff advice by our video uh, analyst. Um, we'll, we'll go through the session, which will be me or one of the coaches based on what we're trying to talk about. Going through the session, which the first, first, uh, warm-up phase, which is like four phases, will will be with Bree, and then it's like the main training exercise and a, and a game exercise will be with me, and then we'll go into the two components of set pieces, which will be seven-minute blocks on each every single day, 
which is another voice with, with our other assistant coaches. So that's kind of the workflow we have. And, and then the operation side of, of running the program um, comes from us all. So we have very specific roles and, and jobs and our university is fortunate or we're fortunate to have a university that has people that do our travel and, and, and other people. And we have a team manager with us as well. So um, compared to where we were at Duke to where we are now, we have a lot more people uh, that, that are involved in the program. And I think we, I hired people that are really, really good at, at what they can do and all have a really good uh, soccer brain and, and enjoy talking about the game and enjoy holding me accountable as well. Yeah, I think it's a little bit similar for us. Um, you know, we, we're, the only thing we're lacking uh, that's maybe a little different at this point is a director of ops position, and hopefully we can get that in in the next year. Um, but everything else staffing-wise is very similar. Um, I think for me, we, you know, I – at every stop I've been at over the years at the different universities and, and even in the pros, I, I always wanted to get a um, an assistant that I felt like the first quality for me outside of soccer knowledge and, and, and being a good coach on the field was somebody that I felt would be loyal. And um, I didn't have to worry about, you know, them coming in around players and questioning what, you know, I'm doing or, what we're doing and those things really tear teams apart very quickly. If you don't have people that really um, have that respect and that loyalty. And um, so I've always tried to look for that uh, as a quality in our, our first assistant and, and really all of our assistants from that standpoint. And then I've always tried to hire a younger assistant that's kind of trying to break in that I felt like, you know, that you can help influence their coaching careers and educate them a little bit and, you know, they're usually really hungry and energetic and willing to put a lot of the work in and, you know, they're okay with grinding things out and, and putting the hours in that's needed. So I've always kind of felt just on a bigger scale, I've just got an obligation to help continue to develop young young coaches, right? Because I had those opportunities when I broke in. I had some people like Shellis Heinemann that was willing to bring me in and help me, you know, get my start. So, and, and, and certainly I think um, – uh, you know, then I think at the same time, I want those coaches that are willing to say, hey, Randy, you know, I know we're doing it this way, but what do you think about this? You know, and I don't always want them to say, yeah, hey, this is great. This is great. You know, I don't want that person that's always yes to me. Um, I do want them to question in the, white, in the right way and in the right place. You know, hey, you know, here's another way. Here's another idea. What do you think about this? You know, because I think that's how we make each other better is to, to feed off of each other. And then I guess for me, too, as I've always tried to find somebody that's really good at what I'm not, you know, somebody that, you know, and, and so just trying to find those those matches. It'd be like putting your team together. You know, you need to try to find somebody that can maybe in midfield that can a little better defensively than the one that you have that's more offensive minded and try to make that mesh. And it's the same with your staff, you know. So that's kind of a general thing that I think I'm looking for when, when I put my staff together. Gary, I think maybe this is a funny story, but when I first came into the college scene, everywhere I came, it was like, because there was two assistant coaches for the most part, and it was always broken up, okay, you're doing the defending, and you're doing the attacking, and that made me laugh so hard, I'm like, what's going on here, like, and, and every session would be broken up, and, you know, I'm like, it's like a lacrosse practice, <laughs> it's like, uh, have the team goes there and just do non-contextual defensive work, you know, and and then uh, and then the other the attackers go to go and score, and then we put it all together. And I'm like, ah, you know, it's it, that didn't make sense to me. And I think I think it's changing all over the country, but I I know there's so many situations still where it's uh oh I'm responsible for the defenders and you're responsible for the attackers or you're responsible for the goalkeepers. And I I think luckily that's changing, but or maybe 50% of the programs it's changing, and the other 50% is still uh, is still lacrosse based training. There are, you know, a lot of young coaches listening to this would be would be interested to hear. I'm sure you both get it as well uh, as experienced coaches. Getting a, around you must get inundated with emails about, hey, trying to break in. Hey, have you got any opportunities there? And you probably get it from overseas. Um, where where did you where did you find your coach and where did you find your staff? Was it from asking people? Did you go through? Did you literally go through every application or you know, how did that work, work out? I, I think for me, you know, I've been at a few different stops, so it's probably a little bit different than um, uh, than some coaches have with what they're looking for. But 
I usually, even though I would kind of go through and, and, and look at the resumes that were sent because I did want to see what kind of a pool we were, we were getting. Uh, but I would say the majority of the hires I've made over the year have been through contacts and people that I know and reaching out to people that I respect and asking them about coaches that are out there that might fit the bill. Um, and occasionally you might stumble onto a couple of those resumes that were sent into you that, and I got my volunteer coach that way this year, right? I found, I found a coach through the resumes and, and followed up. And, and um, so, you know, I would say the young coaches out there have to send those in because else you don't know that there's that interest level. But I do think that it's so much of it is networking. So much of it is who, you know, um, fortunately or unfortunately, that's kind of the way it is. And probably even in business, I would assume, um, in, in this country. So, um, yeah, I think I, I went, I would say more just through people that I know, Gary, that I, I've looked at, that I've known over the years. And I was fortunate for a long time to be able to coach on us soccer's, you know, the national coaching staff and it taught the license program and that kind of thing. And so I would find a lot of candidates through that, you know, anytime I would, leave the coaching courses or whatever. I'll just make notes of some of the, the young coaches that were there and go, you know, this is somebody to keep an eye on in case I ever need it. So I kind of keep a, a file of coaches like that, that I just have in my back pocket if, if something changes unexpectedly or whatever, and, and I need somebody, um, you know, I've kind of got a, a pool of coaches I can go to right away and, and, and see if, you know, see what their interest level might be. But, um, you know, that's, that's kind of how I've done it. You know, it, it's usually my, usually my, my, my first assistant to me is a really important position because it's, you know, it's almost another head coach. Um, and it's, I want that position to be somebody that's also really, really good at recruiting. Uh, I think it's so important. We can be the best coaches in the country, but if we don't have the kids, the players, you know, it's, it, it doesn't work. So um, that one's really important. And that's where that one with the loyalty and the trust comes in that I talked about. And, so I think that's that one usually comes from somebody I know or somebody that I know that I've asked about somebody, you know, that, that I feel a little closer of a connection to that I know also that, there's, that if that coach gets the opportunity that they're going to know they've got to live up to those people that's recommending them and, you know, that kind of thing. I think it holds them a little bit more accountable as well. Um, so I, I, for me, that's kind of more how I've handled it over the years. And I can't say every coach does it that way, but that's kind of the way I've handled it. Yeah. When I, uh, um, so I, I didn't know when I got hired by Robbie or when Robbie invited me to come on campus to talk about the position, I had no, I had met Robbie once. Um, it, it was, uh, Holland was playing Mexico and I was in Seattle after a recruiting event. I was recruiting for Alabama. And at that time we we're at Alabama and we kind of, you know, didn't really, know where, where that situation was going in terms of contracts and stuff. So it was, I was watching Holland, Mexico, and I was acting just, you know, going crazy because it was overtime and it was the World Cup. And I was going crazy. And uh, uh, and Robbie was right there with, with his wife, but sitting outside, you know, watching me. And, and that's how we started the conversation. Like, and Holland won, and I was like, you know, almost in tears. And, uh, and Robbie's like, you know, we started talking, and that's when we first met. Um, and then later on, he called me to to come in for an interview. So how that went from, you know, and I was an assist, a second assistant at Alabama um, and, and in a program that was kind of, you know, not in a great shape right then. And I could have easily lost my job, you know, four weeks after that. And I got an offer to go to Duke. And, and, and I was lucky to be with really good players and a great coaching staff. And now I'm a head coach at a, at a program. So I think it's kind of being lucky, but also – I think making sure you're open to talk to people at all time and you never know who wants to talk. And um, I think, you know, I could have handled that situation with Robbie completely different. And I think he liked me as a person and then maybe he started digging into, into me as a, as a soccer person. And that's how I got it. And, and here I kind of did the same way at, at some of these uh, um, coaching clinics or uh, recruiting events where you actually have to coach. Uh, I wanted to hire a female coach um, and you get to see them work. And, and you get to see, you can talk the game with them or you, you work side by side with somebody. And that's how I got to know uh, Bree a little bit. And then I wanted to hire also a coach that hadn't worked. You know, Bree was at Kansas. I was at Duke. It would have been very easy for us to come in here and say everything is crap. Nothing is good enough. We don't have the resources. But then we hired Doug, who came from IUPUI. Um, well, he came in here and it's like, oh, we got this and we got this. And it was great because now we can, 
it's not just nothing is good enough. It's also, oh, this player can do this, and, and she's pretty good, and and it's good to have that balance as well. And um, so I think that's how it came about. And I think you have to be lucky. I think it's never, never perfect. And and uh, you'll see in the, probably in the in the time of uh, you know if, we, if you keep winning, you can probably make every staff uh, work well together. But once you start losing a couple in a row, and we'll see how that. Helps out. <laughs> Just on that one, then, Erwin, when you're saying about losing a couple in a row, you know, you, you mentioned about the winning seasons there, Andy, at Pitt, and you, know, you both being experienced in, in very successful programs and now taking a group of players who do not share the same experiences. How, uh, how, have, how are you mapping out the, I suppose, the psychological stage of, of changing that culture and, and trying to change that, those expectations, the winning games, when maybe they're used to you know, starting the season a bit slower. Randy, do you want to start? Yeah, I'm just sitting back as you're, you're saying that. And, and um, you know, it's, it's, it's a little, again, different for me because I actually have had one season here under our belt. And, um, but it really wasn't, I think we won one more game than they had won the year before. So it wasn't, you know, it wasn't really a, a, much of an improvement. I think, I think where we improved is the way we were trying to play, you know, and trying to start to at least imprint our philosophy and how we want the game to look and how we want to approach the game. So I think we improved in that area, but unfortunately it didn't translate to a lot of wins, especially in the conference that we're playing in. It's, you know, it's murder's row in the ACC. So, um, but I think I kind of look at this year more of our first year because this is we're bringing in 20 new players, right? So after those conversations last fall, quite a bit of our team left and transferred and found other places. And I think we only have seven or eight, maybe nine players from last year's team that are going to stay. And, and um, it is almost like starting over a little bit here. Um, and I think it's, you know, so the expectations certainly can't be, it's unrealistic for us to come into preseason and say, let's set our team goals and then start talking about winning national championships. You know, I think teams all around the country do that every, every summer in preseason in the locker room, where we're going to win the conference or we're going to win the national championship. And, and I think for us, you know, the goals are going to be much different than that. You know, I think it, we didn't win any for the last few years. Pitt has not won any ACC conference game. So that's got to be somewhere in our goal setting, you know, to start to get some results in the ACC. And then we kind of, I've always, even I did this at Notre Dame, we always kind of put the season in segments, you know. And now at Notre Dame, we did, the end result was we did want to win a national championship. But we never, we didn't spend the season talking about a national championship, which always seemed far away. We kind of we kind of broke it into a non-conference segment. Hey, we got eight non-conference games. We want to be 8-0. Or if we knew we had a really murderous non-conference, we, hey, we want to make sure we, you know, we've got – six wins, you know, at least six wins out of these first eight games, something like that. And then now we're in the conference phase. Here's what we need to do in conference. And and now then it's postseason phase. Now things start over and we got to re- kind of reset those goals. So we, we, we broke it down into smaller stages with what we're trying to accomplish. And I think that's what we'll do here at, at Pitt. You know, we'll have to kind of take it a little bit like this is the first piece. It's the non-conference and, our goal is to get as many wins out of these first eight games before we start conference play, and then we'll kind of rearrange and reset the goals as we get into the ACC. I just think as young as we're going to be, they don't have, they don't even have the experience of knowing what it's like playing a collegiate game. So to come in and talk about trying to win the ACC or make the conference tournament in the ACC or get into the NCAA's, they they don't they don't know that they don't understand. And as you mentioned. None of our players in the history of our program know that because it hasn't been done. So we've got to we've got to change the way we think and and not overload them with too much burden early with those expectations. And I think really for us, it's more about let's get better every day in training, and let's get better at every game. Even if we don't get the result, did we get better in some of these things that we were trying to do in this game? Even if we didn't get the result, you know. So. We kind of got to really manage those young players that don't don't really have the experience to to cope with the wins and losses the same way. So sometimes now it's you know when we would lose at Notre Dame, it was I mean like you were you were morbid you know for the whole next week. I mean it was like the you know the, the 
the sun never came out again. You know, it just would, would crush you. And, um, and here, I think you've got to, you know, you got to change your mindset as a coach and understand that we're going to lose some games. So now then in those losses, what do we want to make sure we get out of it that we can, that we can take a negative result, but make it something positive to build on for the next, you know, for the next weekend and the next weekend's game. So we'll do ours in a lot smaller segments with a lot different kind of expectations than what I would have done at, at, at an open game. You know, you talk about experience, Gary, I, you know, I don't really have this experience, especially not, or not as a head coach of a, of a college team, but um, I, I do feel that um, I think uh, players get um, players get confidence out of a, a clear structure and organization, and um, and we even had a Duke when I first came in in 2014. They didn't make kind of the similar group didn't make the tournament, and in 15 we went to the final, and and not because. Uh, I got there or I helped, I think, facilitate that process. We had a couple injuries the year before, but that year we did something completely different, played a different way, approached the game a different way, completely different than most college teams. And I, I feel like if we if we at Indiana do the same thing as everybody's trying to do, what the college game is, right, running around, big loads of transitions, uh, high pressing, uh, building up on their, you know, you see some teams with limited ability of, of the tactics and the technical ability trying to build up out of crazy scenarios, um, of trying to have the ideal approach of what the what the game should look like, uh, then, then the quality of our players is going to make the difference. But we can hopefully put our team and our players in scenarios that they won't be exposed, and they can we can count on their quality. So, and I think having a clear structure and, uh, of how we want to play and how we want to go by that, and, and players knowing that to a T, which hopefully they will at some point, I think is going to. Is going to give them confidence. You're going to get some results, and then and, and then being in games. You know, the worst feeling you can possibly have at halftime being out of a game and being done, because that it's going to carry over to the next one. And then a goal goes in, and you're like, you know, conceding goals. It's like, you know, last year Indiana gave up 33 goals, and, and I think they scored 33. But you know, if you give up, you know, 33 goals, you're you're probably going to lose a lot of games. You you know, so uh, I think that whole process of of you know we don't. It's almost a bad um, – I, I remember first got to Duke and I started saying that, hey, we're, we're not as good as we think we are. We're going to adjust to opponents. It was like – it's the worst thing I've ever said to somebody in my life. Like the way they responded is like, oh, I can't believe you said that to me. <laughs> and then we started getting some wins based on, you know, play, you know, playing a certain way that maybe, you know, played in our favor. Then it was like, okay, starting to understand, especially still here in America, it's like it's that approach of it's it's – we have to tell everybody that we're better than the other team. It's all about us. It's no, it's not. It's always about the opponent and our team. So I think changing that approach a little bit, Hey, we're, you know, one of the slogans I've used is we're not as good as most of the teams, but we can beat most of the teams. So I think that, uh, that concept of understanding that, Hey, we're, we're not going to do the same thing. We're going to approach the game a little different. It's going to be harder for teams to play against us. Um, and hopefully, you know, We'll, we'll see after. We'll, we'll play. Car we were playing Carolina at Carolina in the first game of the season. So, we'll, we'll <laughs> <laughs> great scheduling there, Erwin. <laughs> All right, last one for you. And and obviously, like you know, I've I've, I've been there at, at Bakersfield as well. Whenever you've you taken the program, you, you you take over, and there's so much work to do. And we've kind of gone through a few today with staffing, expectations, recruitment, retention. Last question would be. What's the most enjoyable process or part of the process for you personally in, in taking the new team and, and going on that new journey? You know, I, I'm, I love being on the field. I mean, that's, that's where I, I'm most at home. So I think from kind of the transition of the getting and landing the recruit to now having that player come in at, at preseason for the first time ever, that to me is an incredible, you know, like, like right now, I can't wait till we get on the field August 6th, you know, to get started because, you know, you spend this time trying to work and build through your recruiting and uh, you get excited about the new players and the possibilities that it brings with it. And, and, and you're right. You always get surprised with some that are doing better and some that don't do as well and some that, that surprised you and did better than you expected. But, but putting those pieces together on the field, I, that, that part to me is the most enjoyable. I mean, you know, I love winning games. I love game day, but 
but I love the training. You know, the week up to the game to me is I, I would do that all the time if I could, because I think that's the, that's where the work's done, you know, and um, game day's great. It's a byproduct of that. But, um, you know, that's one, one reason I wish we would go to a split season like the men are proposing so uh, we can get on the field a little bit more and, and, uh, and not have this schedule compacted so we can do a little more teaching. I feel like in the spring we don't get enough time to really do the teaching that we want. And, um, but that's the part I think that's most enjoyable, just being on the field finally with your team and starting a new season off to see how far you can bring them. And, and it's like raising a child, you know, it's, it's, it's like you see something new out of them every day and you see them make progress in certain areas every day. And that's, you know, I, I remember the national championships we won and I could tell you a lot about the games, but to be honest with you, I get really now more satisfaction of thinking back about those players and kind of seeing how, how far they went and how far along they, they progressed in their career. And then even beyond, you know, seeing the things they're doing now as, as adults out there with their own families and things, um, that's, that's a pretty rewarding piece. So I just love seeing the progress that the young kids make, you know, on, on the field. Brilliant. Brilliant. Everyone? Yeah, I think, uh, I think that's two components. I think the um, making somebody, making a player understand that they're actually better than they think they are. You know, I think that's so much different on the women's side than the men's side. When the women's side, you, you on the men's side, I feel like have the battle is to, to tone them down a little bit and make sure they're they know they're not as good as they are. Oh, I'm just talking about myself. Um, <laughs> yeah. and on the women's side, I feel like there's so many like, like hidden qualities or unknowns that players don't even know what they can do. And there's like been two or three players that I I told to. I said you would have been an All-American at Duke if we had you at Duke. You know, and they like that. And then you see them throughout the spring grow and just be in the confidence and, and they, and they stay humble. I think that process is unbelievable because that that's like fun. That's like, you're helping somebody become like, you know, average and, and, and not super confident at what they do and, and suddenly grow into somebody that actually um, is a very, very top level player and they know it too. And, and they stay humble. So I think that's, that's one part. And then just the soccer part, we got a whole new staff and, um, just diving into like the way we want to play and the language that comes with it and how we're going to, how we're going to implement it. And, 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 and um, I think so many things on, on social media and, and in books and it's all, it's all um, realistic and it's all cool and the way it's written and everybody's using different terms, but as a staff get to the, the bare bones of what we're trying to teach um, and, and how we're teaching it and, uh, and making sure it all fits together and make sure we all talk the same language and are on the same page and even go as deep as, okay, what if this, you know, we're talking about how we're going to defend. What if, what if we're going so deep into how we're going to play that even our staff is surprised that, you know, like they've not gone through this, I believe. And, and then the next day I come back and say, I, you know, we've got to scratch that. We're going to start over like that. That, that part is, um, uh, that that's why I love the game so much and love coaching so much. And then, you know, implementing on, like Randy said, on the training field is unbelievable. And then, you know, me going into the season as a first time head coach, I'm, I'm pretty, pretty damn excited. I'm probably going to act like a, like a maniac on the sideline, but um, <laughs> we'll try, we'll try to behave uh, a little bit. Anson Dorrance will put you in your place first game of the season. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. yeah. No, well, it'll be interesting. <laughs> Brilliant, brilliant. Randy, Erwin, thank you so much. We wish you uh, wish you both the very, very best of luck uh, during the season. Excited to to watch it, keep up with it, and really, really, really appreciate you coming on. First class. Thanks, Gary. Thanks, Randy. Thank, thank you, guys. And listen, appreciate the work you're both doing out there for, for the sport. And it's great to see young coaches like you guys really coming in and, and taking hold of the game. And I know it's going to be in good hands for years to come. Thanks so much to Erwin and Randy for their time and insight there. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I think it's always interesting when coaches go through different processes when building or rebuilding programs. And sometimes I think with the internet today and, and social media and even things like Championship Manager and the access we have to statistics that it's almost viewed that you can just come in and change things based on your philosophy. But... In many ways, that's the easy part, is deciding what you want or what way you want to shape it. The most difficult part is that initial experience of change and maybe a little bit of resistance, and not resistance where 
people are saying no i don't want to do this but that piece where randy's talking about where the quality has to be at a certain level or where Erwin's talking about where the mentality has to be a certain level or the thought process has to be at a certain level and then you know going a step beyond that and then saying well then how do you align your staff with that or how do you recruit staff with that there and you could be there all day you could go down any of those roads recruitment staffing culture but what i found when studying the top teams or what i found been fortunate enough to talk to a lot of coaches with this podcast is is the more clear the coaches and the more consistent they are with their processes and the easier that becomes you know and erwin said that as well with the players they want to know certain they want to know where they stand and i think that's the case across the board and if you go back to the podcast that one of the, the biggest responses we had to a podcast was jeremy gunn and i thought he was just crystal clear throughout that conversation and that conversation today reminded me of that there and i'm not sure whether that comes with experience or whether that's just initial quality and that's probably a different podcast is how you align those processes how soon can you do that can a 23 24 25 year old coach know exactly how those processes work and how to work around them or does that take a little bit of failure a little bit of success and just an overall experience over a, a few years and i think randy and erwin i thought where they were where they were really really great was putting that perspective in with those other programs and given giving their dues to people like Shellis Hyman, Randy was talking about, Erwin talked about Robbie quite a few times. So they're very appreciative of the journey they've been on. They're very respectful and very humble about the people who have helped them and have developed them. And I think that is, again, a consistent message in the podcast where we've got some some top coaches and they never forget where they came from and they never forget of, uh, of who impacted them and why. So we'd love to hear your thoughts on that. I think there's one or two talking points within that podcast that, that maybe might um, might bring about a little bit of engagement online so we'd love to hear your thoughts as always at Gary Crane on Twitter at Gary Crane on Instagram always appreciate you listening to the podcast have a great week goodbye thank you for listening to the modern soccer coach podcast for more coaching topics sessions and resources head on over to coach Kernine on facebook or visit the website at www.modernsoccercoach.com